I'm John Barrett Ingalls, and this is The How, The Why. Presented by 1888. Every week, we connect with artists, authors, and innovators in the world of publishing and literature to discuss their creative process and creative purpose and explore the evolution of the industry. 1888 serves as a regional catalyst for the preservation, presentation, and promotion of cultural heritage and literary arts. Let's get connected. Hello and welcome to The How, The Why, brought to you by 1888. My name is John Barrett Ingalls, and today we are connected with Katie Porter, a poet and also the executive director of Inlandia Institute. Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor. So I would love to start with, I know I read in your bio that... uh, poetry came to you at a young age and you created your first chat book at a young age, but tell our listeners a little bit about how poetry came into your life and how the love of language came into your life. Sure. Um, well, I think it's, it really started, um, well, the first poem I ever wrote was a Thanksgiving poem when I was in elementary school. And I remember my mom was really proud of that. And I, I thought, okay, this was fun, but then I didn't do anything, you know, about it, of course, because I'm a little kid and it was just, um, a one-off thing. But that was the first time that I wrote something that I've received praise for, uh, later, of course, you know, flash forward, it's now I'm in middle school and I'm not from a family that values, um, writing or language in a major way. You know, my parents were both blue collar, My mom, uh, her entire career was in manufacturing, and my dad uh, started out working in a mini mart for his dad and, you know, has worked his way up into sales, vice president um, of a a company doing sales and marketing, but no formal education. Um, We had books around the house, but we weren't reading, you know, like literary fiction. I had a lot of things like B.C. Andrews. Stephen King, um, no poetry around the house at all. But in middle school, there's this thing called the California Poets in the Schools. And I was living in Bellflower, which is just outside of LA. And they were a part of our school um, program. We had a poet named Jack Grapes come into the classroom and talk to us about uh, poetry and another uh, woman named Doreen Peretz, who was working with him. And I was probably, I think this was eighth grade, so around 13, 13 years old or so. And, you know, we were writing poetry to prompts, and it was really freeing to be able to do that kind of writing. And, you know, throughout the course of this program, however long it lasted, I don't know how many weeks it was, we, you know, wrote a series of poems, um, and then they taught us how to do a, make a chapbook. And it was all pre-digital, so copy and paste, and do a paste-up layout, and 
take it to the nearest copy store and and it was a fun project. It was uh, something that was really eye-opening for me as a young person that I could be creative, that I could um, publish a book. Mm. You know, it was something I really enjoyed and it stuck with me. And I think that I really do have California Poets in the Schools to thank for my um, for introducing me and opening that door to poetry. And then what happened after, like just making the decision? I know you uh, chose, again, I got all my information for your bio. And oh, sure. all of our listeners should go and, and check up on you. But um, you made the decision a little later in life to, to pursue further education through this as well, through mm-hmm. poetry. Um, poetry. I, well... I also, I, when I went to community college, I took creative writing courses and I also have taken a number of workshops outside of the traditional classroom, like uh, through Tebbit Bach. I worked with Richard Garcia and Mark Doty. Um, I went to the Idlewild Community of Writers uh, workshops and worked with Moria Simon Um I did something a little unconventional at the time. I actually, backing up just a little bit, I took some um, online writing courses through Gotham with a poet named Jason Schneiderman. And I mentioned to him that I had really fallen in love with a poet's work named, uh, her name was Beth Ann Fennelly. And he happened to know her personally. And I said, I would really love to work with her. And he wrote to her, and she agreed to take me on. And so we did a snail mail correspondence. Um, She would read my poems and critique them and send them back, and I would send her more. So, I mean, that was really my education, was working with these poets um, outside of the classroom. And later I went back and got my MFA through Antioch University, uh, in Los Angeles, and that too was re- a really wonderful experience for me. I did not uh, go to a four-year university, so I don't have a bachelor's degree. I um, requested and was granted a waiver of the BA requirement for my MFA, hmm. and that allowed me to pursue my uh, education in poetry and in writing in a way that you know, if I had had to go back to school to acquire um, a bachelor's first, I don't think I ever would have continued. Because at that point, I was married, and I had a couple of small children, and it becomes much harder to do that when you have a family. Sure. So so from that moment of uh, uh, being the young person and, and publishing your first chapbook, was it like, this is what I want to do? Or this is what I like to do and I'm just going to continue doing it when I can. I mean, you pursued the study, you pursued these classes, so obviously it, it had its hooks in you. It did. Um, I, I think I always knew from that moment on that I wanted to write poetry and that I did continue to write poetry you know, through high school and, and write short stories and, and dabble in things. Um, I knew I wanted to be a writer in... High school, I had a creative writing uh, teacher who 
turned one of my assignments on it uh, and had written on it. So you want to be a writer. And it had never occurred to me that I could pursue that professionally. Um, and that was something that also had a lasting impact on me, that somebody saw that and uh, praised that in me. And I, I decided at that point that, sure, yeah, I would like to be a writer. I didn't know what it would take to get there, but I, I just I made that choice to go on this path. And I think my entire adult life has been shaped by my pursuit of writing. You had your first book come out in uh, 2008, uh, Seven Floors Up? Yes. Uh-huh. How, how was that process of uh, finding, going through all of the poems that you wrote and uh, curating them to fit in this one piece? Um, that was an interesting process because, so after, my, after the birth of my first child, I went through a period of just absolutely needing to write. I, you know, some people tell you that you're not going to be able to find the time to do it once you have kids. But I, I found that it was something that was necessary to me. Um, and I spent a lot of time writing all these poems about, not just about being a mother, but relationships with other mothers in my life and I so I wrote all these poems um, and then I happened to you know meet around this time a woman named Gail Brandeis when I was actually before I that's actually a little bit before I actually had my child and she invited me to join a writing group and I've been with them now for about 15 years at the time um, though I was introduced to something called the Women's Poetry Listserv. And I was submitting, you know, this is a list of just women who are writing poetry and talking about poetry and commiserating. And I met a lot of people through that. And it was a way for me to connect with other writers outside of, you know, my, I felt very um, housebound for a long time when you have an infant so it was a way for me to stay connected to the writing community. And through that, I became acquainted with publishers and I started, you know, I didn't really know the first thing about putting a manuscript together, but I did have these resources, other women writers who gave me um, ideas and input and I slowly shaped I shaped what I thought was a chapbook manuscript, and I sent it off to May Apple Press. Judith Kerman uh, is the editor there. And she wrote me back and said, you know, I really love this, and I think it could be a full-length book. Mm. So I didn't start out thinking I had a full-length book. I started out thinking I had a chapbook. But she, with her um, guidance and editorial input, I pulled more poems together and, and shaped it into what became Seven Floors Up. And this was um, prior to my going to Antioch. This was something that I was doing in, you know, and actually 2008 when it came out, 
um, that was the collected poems of, that had been written probably over the last 10 years or yeah. so. Yeah. You also, around that same time, or a little earlier, uh, started uh, Pomelian as well. And mm. I'm sure all of these, the writers groups and the classes that you took, were you just collecting all of these talented poets and uh or what was the what was the impetus for the start of Pomelian? well it started in my kitchen <laughs> <laughs> so, over um a little too much wine sure as with, some of the best uh, things do start uh-huh had i been sober i probably not may not have uh, gone that route but god bless my wine. Husband, was, <laughs> yes thank you wine um I was complaining to my husband about how long it would take for editors to get back to me and how frustrated I felt about sending my work out and trying to get published. And this was around 2005 or so. Um, and he said, well, why don't you start your own literary journal? And I thought, yeah, why not? Um, and so I did. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had limited internet, um, you know, web design experience. But I had dedication and a drive to do this thing and nothing to lose. So uh, I founded it. It launched in 2006. And so it's been 10 years running. And I loved every minute of it. It's something that uh, I will not let go. I've seen a lot of other uh, literary journals come and go over the years, ones that I've loved and appreciated. And I understand, you know, sometimes you just run out of steam. Hmm. Um, but I want to keep this going as long as I can. In the beginning, uh, when you first started, was there a challenge of finding submissions or were you getting like a flood of submissions? Well, again, I think I have that women's poetry listserv to thank because I, I sent out a call through the Wampo listserv and received a ton of submissions that way. Um, also, one of the women in that listserv, Allison Joseph, she has the creative writing opportunities listserv, which is uh, basically a submissions clearinghouse. Anybody who wants to who, who's looking for work, sends her their call, and she puts them together as a list and and sends it out. And so I received, I sent my call out to her list and received a lot of submissions that way. And I also did some solicitation. Like I, I emailed Bob Hickok, and he said yes, and you know a few other poets that I had um, become acquainted with personally and... That was that was how the first issue shaped up, and finding submissions has never been an issue. Um, there are lots of great writers out there, and lots of people trying to find somewhere to place their work. Did you know that you were going to have thematic elements to each issue? Um, that sort of evolved over time. The first issue was dedicated to place. And when I, when I launched it, I originally thought that it would, all the issues would be dedicated to place. But what ultimately I decided was that whatever I happened to be 
most enamored with whatever type of poetry I was reading or most interested in learning about, um, that is what I decided to, how I decided to shape each subsequent issue. So when I was interested in learning about formal poems, I had an issue on uh, poems and form. Um, when I was writing more ekphrastic work, I had an issue on ekphrasis. Hmm. Um, pro the prose poem, um, what else have we done over the years? The unreal, which was sort of a catch-all term for anything um, surreal or sci-fi or hmm. speculative. Um, so I've just tried to, that, that's a way I've also managed to educate myself in these different ways of writing poetry, these different po um, different types of poetics sure. and uh, aesthetics. Um, so you just, in this past May, finished the, the submission for uh, the next issue. Do you mm -hmm. have a, an idea of what the next theme will be for 2017? Well... Um, I'm actually getting ready to launch the next issue, which is an Asian Pacific American issue. And for the first time ever, we've guest, had guest editors. So Kenji Liu and Angela Pena Redondo are two absolutely fabulous poets who I've worked with both uh, within Landia and with Poemelian. And because of my work um, as an arts administrator, my time with the journal has become more limited. Hmm. And I thought going with a guest editor route would free me up to do other types of work while also maintaining my presence with Poemelian. And so I'm thinking, you know, after this issue, I'd like to do, you know, one that will be curated by the editors. Again, um, the um, founding editor, myself, as well as our other um, associate editors, as a 10-year anniversary issue. And after that, um, we're, I'm thinking of doing a Canadian poets issue. Hmm. Um, it, it really depends on what I happen to, what happens to catch my interest at the time and how much time I have to put into it. Yeah, time is an important thing. We were talking before we started the interview about how mm -hmm. you are a mother of teenage boys <laughs> who yes. occupy a lot of your time, I'm mm -hmm. sure. Um, and, you know, you are the executive director of Inlandia, which is a pretty big, just looking at everything that they do with Inlandia. Um, first of all, tell, tell our readers a little bit about Inlandia the Inlandia Institute and sure. uh, you know and then we'll go from there we'll talk more about how you can find time to do it all Inlandia Institute is a nonprofit, and we are devoted to the literary arts in our region and so the region that we serve is pretty broad but it's all of inland Southern California and I, I define that is anywhere in Southern California that is not the beach. <laughs> <laughs> because okay. it's, it started out as uh, just the Inland Empire, but it also has sort of amorphous edges and 
I don't want to exclude anyone who might want to be considered as part of um, Inlandia. We were originally founded in uh, 2007 as the outgrowth of an anthology published by Heyday Books out of Berkeley, Malcolm Margolin. Um, he and my predecessor, Marion Mitchell Wilson, they uh, formed the Inlandia Institute to try and fill a need that was um, evident after the publication of this anthology. Um, namely, there are lots of great writers and lots of great uh, works of literature that have come out of this region, but the vast majority of the literary world has no idea where we are or who we are. So for the last decade, you know, nearly a decade, we have been working to increase awareness of the writers who live here and to support the writers who live here. So we do work um, with all ages. We go into the schools and do programs um, like the SKIP program at Bryant Elementary in Riverside, where we it's students and coyotes instruction in poetry and prose. And Coyotes is the mascot for Cal State San Bernardino, one of our local universities. And it's actually grown to incorporate more than just Cal State San Bernardino students, but UCR uh, grad students in creative writing and others go into the elementary school setting and work with children, uh, writing poetry, writing short stories, uh, writing short screenplays and teaching mm. them how to film that and do songs and so it's it's been wonderful to watch these children uh, blossom in that program we also work with uh, all ages we have free writing workshops currently in Ontario and Corona and Riverside and San Bernardino and Redlands and soon to be in Palm Springs um, and also hopefully also in Joshua Tree hmm. We just we keep and in Colton actually we just had a meeting this week um, in Colton and this is a way to nurture writers who may not think of themselves as writers but who have a story to tell. What's interesting you you told me about the California poets in schools and how that kind of led you on this journey that you're on now and this is it's kind of like you're you're paying it forward i i think i am i'm trying to encourage the next generation of writers um because without that encouragement they may never find their voice hmm. and it's important for everyone to know that they have a voice and that they have a story and that their story has value and that there is somewhere, someone somewhere listening and who wants to hear that story and who will be changed by that story. Now you have uh, your literary laureate um, for Inlandia, um, and, and that's an annual thing, or is it a, uh, how exactly does your laureate program work, the laureate award? That's every two years, a new laureate is appointed um, we take nominations, both uh, from the public and internally, of writers who are both accomplished, highly accomplished, and active in the community and with the dedication to 
the community. And they, um, those nominations go to an outside um, jury. And from that, they select uh, one um, laureate. And it comes with a $5,000 stipend paid out over two years. And they get to design programs uh, that are outreach and they become essentially ambassadors for literature in the region. Right now we have Nikia Cheney, who is just phenomenal, both as a person and as a, a poet and as a community activist. And I'm really excited to see what she has in store. And you say you, you publish books as well through uh, a partnership with Heyday. Um, what, what is it that you look for aside from having that Inland Empire connection when people are, are, are submitting? Well, so we, we publish books a couple of ways. One of them is through our co-publishing partnership with Heyday. Um, but we also have published books independently under our Inlandia Books imprint. And that's something that we are growing. So we will receive um, manuscript proposals from a variety of writers. And some of them are a good fit to send to Heyday. Heyday has a California focus. Mm -hmm. So it needs to fit within their guidelines as well as ours. Um, but we've seen some, some things come through that aren't a good fit for Heyday, but that do have value and that we do want to see published, which is how uh, Inlandia has broken into independent publishing. And so what we're looking for is both um, a good story, good writing, and a connection to the region, whether it be um, that the writer is from here or writes about this area. Um, but but the, the main criteria is, is good writing and a good story. And you have a literary journal as well. We do. We have... Um, our online literary journal. So my my um, evolution with Inlandia, I originally was brought on to found the literary journal and a publications committee um, because of my experience with Poemelian. And now uh, you had mentioned earlier that you've spoken with Larry Eby, mm -hmm. Lawrence Eby. He is our publications coordinator. And so he's now the managing editor for the online literary journal. And he also does um, all of our book design and layout and coordinates all of our other projects. Like our, we have a weekly column in the Press Enterprise uh, in, on the books page on Sundays, uh, written by local writers and about the literary activity in the region. And we also have, um, going back a little bit to our books, we inaugurated the Hillary Gravendike Prize. Hillary Gravendike was a poet at Pomona College in Claremont who died at the age of 35. Hmm. And, you know, she was a wonderful person and a wonderful poet, and this was a way for us to honor her. And Kenji and Angela, who I mentioned guest edited uh, the APA issue of Poemelian, 
they were the 2015, the first year winners of the national and regional Hillary Gravendike Prize poetry book competition. So we're trying to raise our profile on a national level so that when people think of the Inland Empire, they do think of good writing, good writers, and good people. And now let's get to that question of how do you do all of this and how do you find the time and how do you stay organized and sane? I didn't say anything about being organized or sane. <laughs> so, um, and I, I don't know. It's a question I ask myself every day. How am I going to get everything I need to get done within the time that I have? It's challenging because of, you know, working around a family life. Um, I do everything that I can during the school day. And at which point I have to become a mom after I pick kids up. But then I will often disappear for meetings or events. Um, we have a lot of things that go on in the evenings because we have to try and do things when people are off work. And we have a lot of things that go on on the weekends. You know, just as an example, last week we had, you know, our board meeting for the board of directors. You know, we're a nonprofit. That was on Tuesday night. Then, um, what did I have? Thurs Thursday night we had uh, conversations at the Culver, which is one of our series. And then... Friday night, um, where was I Friday night? I'm already spacing out, but I, I had an event Friday night as well. Saturday was our book fair uh, at Barnes & Noble. No, Sunday was our book fair at Barnes & Noble. Mm. Saturday, we were at the Riverside Art Museum launching another local author's book. And it's just been... Um, Sort of that's a typical week is to have several evening events and meetings. And so I try and just weave everything together. I have to, you know, drop kids off at school, go work a little bit, pick kids up, then go work a little bit, sleep, get up, do it again. Um, I answer emails anywhere I can, whether I'm, you know, at home uh, at the kitchen table or, you know, waiting to pick somebody up, looking at them on my phone. Um, it's all just wherever I can find the time I fit it in. And, and I wouldn't you're still writing other... too. Hmm? And you're still right. And I still write. Yep. I actually, uh, one of my most recent books, uh, the body like bread, I had two come out this year. My Skies of Small Horses and The Body Like Bread. Um, I wrote the latter on my phone um, using an app. Most of them were written while I was in the kitchen cooking, having a little wine, you know. And so writing poems while I'm stirring the rice or whatever else I'm doing. <laughs> and I just, whatever I can do to find the time to... Um, sneak in a little writing here and there or to, um, you know, do social media for Inlandia in between uh, making 
you know, eggs for the kids or whatever it is that I'm doing. I like, I like my life and I would, wouldn't have it any other way. And I get everything that I need to get done and whatever I don't get done probably didn't really need to get done. (laughs) And that's just, that's how I've had to, um, approach it. That's a good way of looking at a lot of things in life. Yeah. Just let it go if you can't do it. Well, Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. This has been The How, The Why with John Barrett Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanek and yours truly with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The How, The Why theme music was composed and performed by Dan Record. Please consider supporting 1888 and our mission. Become an 1888 advocate by purchasing our books, participating in our programs, and pledging today. For more information, visit 1888.center. That's 1888.center. I want to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you.